It's Thursday, April 20th, 2017, and you're listening to episode 440 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 45 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Brodor. This is Eric. That's your name. That's my name. I (laughs) forgot because it was said once early this evening and I'm like, how do I engage this fellow without using his first name? Dude, buddy. Dude, buddy guy. Hey. (laughs) Hey. Well, you know what? I realize this doesn't totally work for lack of cameras, but it has been one of the advantages of doing a face-to-face podcast Mm -hmm. since we don't typically have a remote host. If my mind fails me, I can just look at the person and say, so you've played this game, right? <laughs> and, you know, I'm looking at somebody, they know who yeah. I'm looking at them, and then whoever responds, you know, the heck, the listeners half the time can't even differentiate our voices. I know, right? So yeah. it doesn't really matter. It's all, you know, as long as the information is there, and I think that plausible deniability of the voices being similar works out well, because mm-hmm. it allows us to pass the buck on things. That's right. That's and, right. Yeah, just in this, like, Penrose staircase, you know, just <laughs> it's just forever going up, yet also not going anywhere. Well, I think that the listener should certainly be able to distinguish us, if not by voice, but by subject matter <laughs> and comment. Yes. And possibly smell. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I got an email, actually a Facebook PM from a listener who is German, but moving to Poland, which from what I understand about that part of the world, it's usually the other way around. It's a lot of Polish people moving into Germany. I don't know. Not in the 40s. <laughs> yeah. No. yeah, It's a okay. precursor to something. <laughs> I've heard that all before somewhere. <laughs> but this gentleman by the name of uh, Lars Hendrick, he had a question that I can relate to, but maybe from the other end. And, and he was looking. This is your battered role yes. player thing. Yes. He was asking mm. how to deal with with a group that has battered group syndrome because he apparently inherited a group that prior to him being the GM, what, is, what are you laughing at, bro? I'm sorry. So when you said he apparently inherited a group, I have this whole scenario in my mind of the reading of the will. <laughs> and I bequeath you, pause. <laughs> any which way that's a tangent we don't need to go down <laughs> okay but so he has taken over gming is that a, is that a work no no story? inherited is great okay <laughs> so, so he inherited a group that uh, from the prior gm was apparently fairly antagonistic and mm. obstructionist and was kind of a dick gm and so he's now got this struggle of trying to get these people out of an equally antagonistic posturing. And I've Mm. certainly been on, I guess, some other sides of this because I have been the player in a group that had a very antagonistic GM. And I have also, well, been antagonized as the GM, but that's a different topic for a different time. But his primary question is how would we recommend pulling these people out of that mindset of getting them away from that, you know, they're, they're used to being abused, right? They, mm-hmm. Every time you raise your hand to scratch your nose, well, they think you're about to slap them. In this uh, imaginary scenario where we inherit a group from a dead GM who was 
an abusive father to these right. uh, poor people. So where a German ends up in charge of a bunch of Polish people. Right, right. <laughs> you know, are we assuming we as the GMs know that they're abused or are we discovering this is throughout the game? Because there's two different approaches to this. It based on the sounds answer. to me like he's discovering this. Disco- okay. I'm so guessing here, but it sounds if, to me like he's discovering it. If you know in advance, that's when you have a conversation. That's when you say, okay, you know, this last guy, we'll call him Adolf, was a real jerk. <laughs> he was just, you know, a horrible, horrible human being who deserved the death he got. And then I inherited you. So what are things that you don't want to see? What are things that he did that, that you don't want to see? And then we'll make a list. You know, it's like, okay, well, he TPK'd us all the time. He killed us. And, you know, is, is told Deus Ex Machina. I'm like, no problem. For now, we're not going to do any player death. We're not going to do any TPKs because it's my job to build trust with you guys. So that aside, I mean, that's all obvious questions right there. Now, right. now let's say you're discovering the problem. As it goes on, you're getting a player, Dan, (laughs) who you find programs in certain advantages every character they make to, I don't know, not be mind controlled or have a really, really, really high defensive stat so that no matter what, they can at least get out of the inevitable screw job that the GM is going to put on them or has some contact that's really powerful in their background that they never use and is there for flavor, but they can totally call in the big guns. Dan, (laughs) all this has happened and all this has happened because (laughs) I was a battered player. Yes. So you start noticing these things about the game, about the players and such. If you don't want to go full stop, I'm noticing this about you guys. Let's have that conversation that we just talked about. Let's say you you don't want to do that. You want to kind of keep the game going. It's simple. Your job is to build trust. Because I do this when I game for my current group. And it isn't a battered game syndrome. It's it's something else. They come from a traditional gaming background. D and D. I am a paladin. I am lawful good. This is my role. This is what we do. This is how the world works. It's very static. It's very predictable. I'm not saying it's bad at all. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's a thing, right? It's this way of doing things in a role-playing game. And they have been doing it for years. If you listen to the show, which I don't, then you might know that I don't really game like that. And I do more experimental type stuff. I make my own rules. I like to think outside the box. I like to do weird and different things. In the early genesis of gaming. Yeah. The band Genesis. <laughs> but it's my job to earn their trust, not to just dump that on them and force them into this box, but to run a good game, essentially, to where they can express themselves and they can come out to start slowly presenting these concepts to pull them out. Now, it's kind of the other side of the coin with that for a battered gaming group. You have to, over time, show them that, say, you notice one of them taking a chance. You know, they're they're kind of stepping out. They're, they they kind of make their character that's very, very defensive and very, I'm not going to let anything hurt me or my character. When they make a little step out of that box to make their character a little bit vulnerable, love of God, don't take advantage of that. You know, let them win. Let them take that little step out. And over time, the others will see that. The others might start doing it. Start rewarding that kind of behavior and coax them out throughout the game. 
Right. Like you said, it takes a lot of time, though. It's not something yeah. you can just turn the page and it's going to happen. The, you have to prove it to them because it's uh, the bad, like a battered spouse syndrome or battered child syndrome. You know, that they, they're waiting for the other shoe to drop. You know, you're giving them a little bit of a, a, of a leeway. They're going to stick their neck out and somebody's going to chop it. I have it kind of a similar situation, except I used to be the abuser. And now I am looking to change how I run a game. And so now my players don't trust me. Yeah. And I recognize this about myself. So I'm like, well, I want to try and change the way I play. So I start to reward good behavior, uh, reward this and that. And the players are, are just waiting for me to screw <laughs> them over again. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it can work two different ways. You, you can be uh, an abusive GM because that's how I learned yeah. how to play. And then... You know, you grow up, you learn that, you know, this isn't fun for everybody, mm -hmm. and, and maybe we can actually make some stories together. And, you know, if you don't give it time, the players are just going to... You know, listening to what you're saying, I actually kind of wonder, you know, you, you're saying, you know, hey, I, I reward them or I help them coaxing out. It takes a long time. But I almost wonder if the players who have been, as you say, abused for so long are almost in their minds thinking that, is this a buildup to an even greater right. smackdown? It's a rope-a-dope. Yeah. Yeah. If I were you, now, you should totally take my advice because oh, sure. this Absolutely. is fear of the boot. Right, right, you right. Know, it's totally correct. Mm -hmm. But what I would do in that situation is I would come clean to the group and say, you know, hey, I've been kind of a dick to you guys for years. I am going to make a list here, and these are my laws. This is not laws for you that you have to follow. These are laws for me, and I need you to hold me to account and come up with like five things. And I'm just pulling stuff out of my ass. No TPKs. No, you know, deus ex machina. No, you know, all the, the sins of a game master or right. whatever. And say, I am not going to do this, but I need your help. I'm trying to better myself as a game master and make this more enjoyable for you guys. I need you guys to help me if I forget or slip. Say, hey, you know, that's kind of like number three there. Then you have to stop because you're going to get really angry. I'd get really angry because someone's daring to criticize my art. Be like, all right, yeah, they're right. Uh, that was a violation of my own thing, number three. Okay, let's roll that back and then continue. You know, Lars and his PM actually mentioned a thing or two he's already doing. Then why is he asking us? Well, no. <laughs> We're you busy know. people here. Come on. Go you invade know. Poland. I <laughs> but no, I, you know, I, is, I actually kind of, when I read his PM, right, mm. one of the things that I was thinking as I was reading his PM was it sounds to me like he is already on the right track. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to emphasize what you guys have been saying, because as someone who has done a fair amount of work with people that have been abused more seriously than gaming, people that have been abused in gaming, and then things like abused animals and such, look, social interactions all have a certain amount of things in common. There's a parallelism to all of them you know, our basic level of conditioning and such. Now, I'm not saying a role-playing game and actual genuine abuse are somehow morally or emotionally or whatever equal. What I am saying is they are structurally similar. Right. In that you have been trained to expect something unfair, negative, whatever, in a certain circumstance when it ought not be there. And I think the two big things that you guys have hit on that cannot be emphasized enough is giving it time, and being consistent. Mm -hmm. So it, it's about retraining. It's about saying, okay, I can't demand that you trust me. 
I cannot. Dem- and if, but if you don't trust me, I'm killing your character. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you bring you bring home an abused puppy. It's hiding under the couch. The way to win it is not to grab it by the scruff of the neck and drag it out and make it play. <laughs> you have to give it time to adjust, and you have to be consistent in your behavior until suddenly there's an understanding. It's about building that trust that the other shoe maybe isn't going to drop. But here's one of the things that he mentioned as a specific behavior that he's doing that I think is awesome. He's had the NPCs make mistakes. Mm. When I was the battered player, that never happened. Mm. The NPCs always had this omniscient level of knowledge. They never faltered in their convictions. They never had the wrong idea. They never fell for a trick. It got to the point that I had to write down my actions on a piece of paper put it upside down in front of the game master and say, I have done this. And the game master hated that. Oh yeah. Well, (laughs) and, and not allow the game master to turn it over because I knew if I let him see my action ahead of time, and I'm not talking about you, Chad, but the person that set this behavior in my mind, that it was not going to work period, Mm -hmm. no matter how plausible it was that that action should have worked. You know, no matter what die roll I made, it was just, by fiat, not going to work. And it was total BS. And I think the fact that he's choosing to have the NPCs consciously make mistakes to have the flaws that, gee, I don't know, a character, a person should have where they misinterpret things, they they drop the ball, they don't succeed at everything. And I he, there's another thing he mentioned that's a good old Johnny G-ism that I kill think your, I was about to say kill your players. <laughs> no, no, that's Wayne. Yeah. That's Wayne. Starwipe. We're talking about Johnny G, <laughs> yeah. which is treat them fairly. Mm-hmm. Do above the board rolling. Yeah. That right there is worth an enormous amount. Roll above the board, declare, okay, here's the math I'm doing. You've got a this, there's that modifier. Okay, the enemy needs this number to hit. Roll the D20 right in front of everybody. Okay. You want to take that even a step further? If there is a combat, we'll say, and there's dice rolling going on, and then one or more of the players' characters are not involved in that combat, give the monsters to them. Have them make the rolls. Oh, I think that's a good one. Yeah, look. Your hand's off. I mean, and it's not transferring onus onto the player. What you're doing is you're transferring trust and power. Yeah, here's the random number generator. You tell me what he rolls. Yeah. 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 Here's because, all of his stats. Here's his hit points. As an abused person, you can, it is the removal of power and control and self-determination that is the abuse, or at least part of the abuse. And you are giving that to somebody. Do we know how long he has been game mastering for this group? No, I don't. Because I'm I'm curious, one, because... The the area where I would fail in this scenario as a game master is eventually my patience would run out sooner than mm-hmm. a mature person's patience should run out. And it's all I would, that meth. Yeah, I well, I've, I've never <laughs> done meth, but boy, I'm I'm curious. Um, <laughs> any which way, where I would fail is that I, I would lose my temper, I'd get angry with them, and I'd say, "Look, I'm not that guy, mm-hmm. and I'm tired of you treating me like I am that guy." So my question for him is. What kind of negative feedback and behavior is he getting from his players because they're not giving him a chance to prove that he's not that guy? Are they overreacting? Are they being, because you said at the beginning of the recording that they were somewhat combative to him. Yeah, he didn't give enough detail on that for me to comment. 
if he wants to come on the forums or the the front page blog or something and post some more details, then, you know, I I could certainly point that out to you and and give you a chance to interact with him more directly. But in his PM, he didn't give me that level of detail. So I couldn't tell you specifically, but, you know, I, I can picture what it would be because Chad described my own behaviors after coming out of that, that it was you learn how to cope with that. Right. That's how you, you mm-hmm. deal with that kind of thing is you figure out how to cope with it, how to dodge it. It's tools. I mean, to us, to people who aren't coming from this background, the game is a set of I can do really interesting stuff or really cool stuff. I can make this character do all this other stuff to somebody like Dan when he was coming out of that was the game is a set of tools I use to defend my path. Yes, and that's why I have such a strong feeling about that golden box around the character sheet. Uh, And that's why Chad's, one of his first ones is probably the most poignant one, was one of the things I put in almost every character I play is some mechanism by which the character could not be Mm mind-controlled. Because I got so freaking tired of constantly having control of my character taken away. And then, of course, my character, you know, right as I'm at the pinnacle of some success, no matter how hard I work to earn it, whatever. Or even just standing there in a bar about to drink a beer. Yeah. It doesn't matter. And suddenly they rob me of agency. Yep. And it's like, dude, you've got the whole game world. Leave my character alone. Mm -hmm. And I, okay, I get. Tools in the toolbox, you're playing D&D, guess what? The enemy wizards also have charm person or whatever, right? I get it. Confusion. I hate confusion. But (laughs) I'm just saying when this becomes the de facto procedure of the GM and it becomes to the point where Mm -hmm. you don't get a saving throw, you whatever, you start to build up these things that it's inappropriate responses to inappropriate behavior. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what it was. And I will tell you right now, if you want to know how any group was abused, Look at what it is they're defending themselves against. Yeah. Look at where they're piling the sandbags. Mm-hmm. That's your best indicator of what it is you need to chill on, you yeah. know, to be to be patient with do them on. Char- do they, your players make characters that have no one of importance in their background? Right. Then that means that the game masters in their past, like, and this is a consistent yeah. thing. There's not just one character. No family, Batman. no wife. Yep. Right. That means a game master has leveraged that to abuse them. They have leveraged the NPCs that they've made to hurt the player. Yeah, I've had uh, uh, one player that plays Shadowrun with me lose seven characters in five weeks, and he got to the point where he was naming his characters on how the previous character died. (laughs) Um, And see, I would always play things like, what the f***? (laughs) Okay, you aren't the game master of that game, right? Yeah. What? <laughs> Why? Well, I mean, he named one character Cook Off because his original character, the previous character, had a fire elemental give him a bear hug, and he was wearing all these grenades. How? how but how did That's they lose? Fair. How did they lose seven characters in five? Well, weeks? you also have to understand that this uh, this player also puts his characters into unnecessary risks playing okay. the yeah, playing, by playing in one of his. Okay. Games. <laughs> well, all right. If, if, Which if, book did he read prior to the creation of each character? In, in my opinion, Shadowrun has always been a game about subtlety. If it's run right. If you're wandering around on a shadow run with, I mean, just dripping with grenades, <laughs> yeah. you're already doing but, it wrong. What if you're a grenade guy? Or, I'm sorry. What if you I need to no, no, derail you. And, and, and this is also the character, uh, one of the, the players who has horrible dice luck. 
Mm. So, and we learned the chunky salsa rule because of him, which is chunky uh, the chunky salsa rule in, in Shadowrun is reflected damage in confined areas when there's an explosion. It, <laughs> ah. it compounds. Yeah. A grenade in a tight hallway does, it's like an atomic bomb going off. <laughs> yeah. Because right. if you're like in a one man wide metal hallway to where it cannot penetrate the wall, the shockwave hits the wall, comes back. Passes you, hits the wall again, comes back. Yeah. This was like D&D back when lightning did not have a fixed number of rebounds. And you could just throw one lightning bolt into a confined area and it would just hit somebody 18 times before they would. Nothing has Give that up, many hit dice. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. So, so he threw the grenade, critical failure, bounces off the door sill, lands at his feet, picks it up. Before it, it, it was able to go off. Opens his mouth, unhinges no. his jaw. <laughs> Critical fail again on the second throw. Bounces, lands at his feet again. I'm like, dude, there's nothing else I can do. So, you know, you're you're done. He didn't yeah. have like any karma or anything to buy that off? Uh, he had already used all of that stuff uh, and, and by that point. Three characters ago, right. right. Yeah. So, okay, yeah. so that one sounds like that was on him. Yeah, so, I mean, and, you know, to be fair, some of it was on him, some of it was on me, but it got to the point where... Um, I've had players who refuse to do backstories because mm-hmm. why What's should I point? bother yeah. making a back making backstory where you're either going to use characters from my past against me or it's not going to matter anyway because I'm going to be dead in ten minutes. Bingo! Mm-hmm. I've been all over that where my characters become very short concepts, so they're interesting enough to play if they stick around for a while. But I have definitely seen that diminishing level of work in a character where they become less and less complex, the backgrounds start disappearing, heck, pretty soon I just start pulling templates out of the book, and that's my character, because right. I don't even care to sit down and do the napkin math to make another character. Right. And so we'll just play this, you know. Yeah, it's just... like playing uh, you know, Dungeon Crawl Classics, where you're playing pre-first-level characters, and you're playing three or four of them at a time because they have two or three hit points. You know, yeah, and you, you don't care. You, you know, if they survive the the funnel, then you care. Well, the difference is that's the point of that. Game. Right, that's the point of the game. That's right. the point of that right. game. So yeah, I think the two big words I'll put here, two big watch points I put here, is patience and consistency. To give them time and to keep showing again and again and again until you have built that trust that I'm not going to take advantage of you every time you make a mistake, every time you give me an opening. I do realize there still has to be conflict in the game, all things in their right context. But the times I got worse cheated, nothing was ever above the board. Mm-hmm. I was never shown the dice or no dice were rolled. No stats for the enemy were ever revealed. I was just supposed to take it on the GM's goodwill when the GM did not have a lot of goodwill that this was somehow all being done consistently. So if I understood you correctly, you are currently on the road to recovering your credit with your players. Is that right? That's correct. So how long have you been on the road to rebuilding that trust? And how successful (laughs) successful have you been? Because my assumption is, and it's probably true for Lars as well, that that the amount of time it takes to rebuild that trust is going to be different for each individual at the table. He's been at it for roughly five weeks and seven characters. <laughs> <laughs> so not, not, far. Yeah, not sure. well at all. <laughs> he's, he's been working on it since Coat Hanger. That's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, I'm going to cry. I'm sorry. Strangely enough, it's much like relapsing into an addiction. 
Because if, if you start to show any kind of old tendencies or back of your head, you're like, man, I could totally just trounce them right now. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you hold back or you know, anything like you're doing that. And then, but you do introduce some sort of a conflict or some sort of tension. They immediately think you're back to your old tricks. Mm-hmm. So you almost have to do kid gloves all the time. And then it gets to the point where it's like, am I being too gentle mm-hmm. with them at this point? And is it too easy? And that, that's been one of the biggest knocks on, like when I ran 5th edition D&D, was, oh, it was too easy. It, it, it felt like we couldn't fail. I could have made it more difficult, but I didn't want to fall back to those old tropes. That would be rough to try and create a game. And I've been thinking about this really since we started this topic. Of the opposite side of the track here you fall off of is suddenly the game has no conflict. Or if you do have conflict, I guess it goes back to our talks about transparency and such, mm-hmm. that you have to be really careful about how you handle that. I mean, I, I had an issue where I kind of spooked Johnny G because we had played a Skies of Glass game that was really brutal, really hard, really, I mean, there's a lot of, of stuff to it. And then we switched to a different game, and I had an NPC bluffing him. And John called BS on me as a GM because he thought that I was, you know, just just structuring things against them. And I was like, John, he's man to man. He's lying to you. He doesn't have any of this stuff. Mm -hmm. But, you know, John was coming off a game where he had felt two behind the eight ball. And so suddenly that, that one act looked like I was falling back to a routine he wasn't very comfortable with. I think one of the solutions to that is to realign your view of game mastering. Instead of saying, well, I'm going from this anti-player sort of brutality to I need to handle the, the players with kid gloves, their delicate little chicks. Instead, throw that delicate little chick concept out the window, and you are now pro player. You're a game master and it's your job to make them awesome. So it is an abundance of success. It's not too easy because it, it's just that they're doing so great. And how you be great is not win, 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 win. It's achieving things, achieving things in the face of adversity. The smackdown comes when you try to achieve something that's difficult and early on you're just bashed down but make it difficult up the road. But instead of just making it hard, make it hard, you're right there with them. You're like helping them. You're like giving them clues to the challenges. You're just, you're, you're encouraging them. You're like, you guys can do it. Become pro player, which Brodor hates pro player. All right. <laughs> I'm, let me make a confession. I agree with you mm. that I, I think you're absolutely right. Probably the most important moment in my career game mastering is when I stopped caring about the NPCs mm-hmm. winning, when I stopped caring about the NPCs journey, or at least had the NPCs journey take a back seat to the player's journey. So I absolutely agree with you. I think that for your players to really trust you and really be invested in the game, you have to be at your heart on their side. Mm-hmm. And I will, it's a good thing that this was recorded because I will <laughs> never again, I will never again repeat those words. I will never admit that I said that, Fair but, but, enough. but you're, you're absolutely right. Mm. Yay. 
I think another way of uh, rewarding that kind of uh, or changing that mentality is using a reward system. Mm -hmm. Savage Worlds is a good one that you can throw bennies at them. Yeah. You know, hey, you're asking awesome. You're doing awesome things here. Have a Benny. Just, you Mm -hmm. know, standing around throwing bennies right and left. And then that even fuels them to do more awesome things and have more successes. And it also provides them a bulwark when dice don't go their way or something bad happens. People tend to get blinders when people get spun around the axle and spun up and, and kind of emotional. Their perception's narrow, and I've seen people play a game like that where they have bennies, fake points, whatever, and they're just stacking up, yep. and they forget they're there because they're too in the moment, and they're too emotional. And as a game master, you could say, okay, dude, the grenade bounced back. You're going to f- throw it. Oh, you got a crit roll. Dude, been one of those bennies, man, and right. you're going to like totally ace it. And then you, on your end, kind of lower the difficulty a little bit, and then you know roll on the table. And you know, I, I'm wins. not. I wouldn't suggest this as a one size fits all thing, but I think there may also be a purpose there because you're talking about being pro player, right? Right. So if part of the, cor- I'm always pro player, even oh. when I hurt them. If part of the, <laughs> I, this hurts me more than it hurts you. I do it because I love you. I do it because it'll make the story good. Yeah, <laughs> but it's your story. Yeah, them making good. Yeah, by hurting you. <laughs> Chad's <laughs> such a dominatrix of a, of, a, of a game master. But no, I if part of the messed up tool bag of the abusive game master is to cheat against the players. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not suggesting this as the universal answer. I think it is another tool in the bag of a right thinking GM, a pro player GM, to be willing to cheat in their favor. For example. Grenade bounce guy. Okay. (laughs) Now, for a moment, I'm just going to assume you weren't trying to get him to stop doing ridiculous things like carrying teardrops of grenades. Right. Which is probably exactly what you were trying to do. It didn't stop his other characters, though. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I just imagine grenade I, guy. He's he's got all these grenades all over him, and his main weapon is not actually an explosive grenade. It's a sock filled with grenades that he beats people with. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a line in a Guns N' Roses song, Coma, which is something effective. Nobody pulled the trigger; they just stepped aside. And as a game master, there have been times I have let player characters suffer horribly. And it comes down to that. Nobody pulled the trigger. I just kind of let nature take its course. You jumped off the side of the Grand Canyon. I didn't push you downward. Gravity just did all the pulling. Mm. And I think with somebody trying to wear armor made out of multiple bomb vests. (laughs) It's reactive armor, like on a tank. Yes, exactly. Come on, Dan. He's got shaped charges. They're all pointed outwards. (laughs) (laughs) But I I think, yeah, I I don't know that I'd do a whole lot for him. But let's say for a minute he was a well-adjusted individual who had one grenade on him and just waned the rolls, right? Mm. He just critical fail, critical fail, critical fail. Bounces back at his feet. He rolls again and bounces back at his feet. And, and we presuppose this is somebody who's you know playing within the spirit of the game and such and isn't being obnoxious. And I think I might have said something like, okay, grenade doesn't detonate. And just a dud, right? And, but then as they go on throughout the mission, well, another piece of equipment or something like that. Somebody draws their backup gun. It doesn't fire. Somebody goes to use... Well... well I mean, I get what you're saying for a normal group. That's cool. But now you're like pointing at characters and you're fiatting. Your gun doesn't work. No, okay, no I would keep it on the down low. doesn't work. I would keep it on the down low. Mm. They would still. Danger, danger, danger. I, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. But here's where I would go with that. Mm. My, my point being that 
if you just say the grenade doesn't detonate, it just duds out, maybe the player would accept that. Maybe on the flip side, they'd say, okay, this is equally cheap, right? My character's survival was just highly cheapened. And so I might see this as an opportunity for a plot point. Okay, you know, there's somebody that's kind of messing with the run. You still succeed, right? We're still pro player. They still get through it. We never take away more than they need. You know, your gun jams, but there's a security guard's pistol on the desk right next to you, and it fires perfectly fine. Yeah, I don't I, I see what you're saying, Chad, that if I let the continuity go too right. far, it could recreate the problem. I guess what I'm saying Are is you solving one sin by committing a different and sin. Maybe, and maybe I am. But it just strikes me that there's an opportunity here to cheat in the player's favor, assuming we've exhausted every other option on the table. Do you know how I cheat as a game master? They roll the dice, they fail, the character's going to die, and I reach out and I grab the die and I turn it to a higher number. Yeah, fair enough. Problem solved. Or you just pretend you didn't notice. You just say, uh, I've. I, I don't like that because it's like, okay, well, it's a low number. And then they say, well, what it's about a one. let's make a deal. Grenade yeah. lands at the guy's feet. You know what? I'll cut a deal with you. If you're willing to give up your next two turns, your 10,000 grenades. <laughs> if you're willing to give up your next two turns, I will let you take an extra action simply to jump out of the way. Mm-hmm. You simply jump back to cover. You're not in front of the guards anymore. You're not taking fire. But you have to give up a next turn, two turns, whatever, mm-hmm. your next so many actions because of the fact that you've overextended yourself to get out of the way. But let's make a deal, right? You know, if I can fudge things anywhere else in the world, then surely I can fudge them here mm-hmm. and give them something that shows, hey, I'm willing to bend things in your favor, not against your favor. Would right. you feel better about that yeah, than about absolutely. Yeah, the, that would be that would be a better way to go. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. They might even at first be like. I don't know if I want to take this deal because it's making a deal with the devil. He might screw me in some way. But when the choice is, we'll either take the deal or your character's toast. I mean, by the rule, I mean, I'm not even doing anything. By the rules, your character's toast. Then they'll be like, okay, I'll take the deal. Don't screw them. Yeah. Don't screw them. Don't have a landmine on the other (laughs) side of the wall. Let them get away. And I I think that solution works best because your solution of changing the die, the only thing... Oh, that, it's pretty shit. Well, I think, I think the problem with that is is that what it says to the player, or at least what it would say to me as a player, is that the dice don't actually matter. They don't. Right. Yeah. Well, and well, the, since <laughs> the Chad game, they yeah. don't. Yeah. And, and that's where... They matter to you, and that's what's important. Yes, right. and so I don't want you to change the dice, mm-hmm. but I'm okay with the making the deal, Yeah. right? Yeah, I like the deal. The changing the dice, I mean, you're setting a precedent, right? You're right. Gonna, you, that means you have to do it for everybody. If, you know, all things are equal, then, you know, that means you're going to have to do it for everybody. Dan, your thing about the using it as a story idea or a way to maybe uh, add to the, I like that because you say, okay, it's a dud. And then, okay, you know, you swore you reloaded your, your ammo, but it says your count is at zero. Then they start thinking of things like, are we being hacked right now? Mm-hmm. You know, is, right. There, is there a decker somewhere that's messing with my stuff? They start getting more paranoid, which is in the essence of Shadowrun. Yeah, maybe Shadowrun isn't a great game for that kind of group. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I'll say, Call uh, of Cthulhu or Paranoia. Oh, yeah, because yeah, uh, Shadowrun is, if once again, in my opinion of how it ought to be run. Right. I, I now realize some people will well, I mean, chafe at this, but it is a game about extreme care. Well, even and, if it's about your game is about going loud, it's about 
criminals lying to each other, trying to get an advantage on each other, and then getting double-crossed, and then double-double-crossing back. I mean, it's like this street-level yeah. crime. Even if you have total harmony. So you are you have, like, paranoid people, and you're playing a game that where everybody's out to screw you. And well, and you're at the bottom of the totem pole power-wise. Yeah. yeah the, the one thing that gives you power in Shadowrun is the fact that you are the unknown quantity. Yeah. That's really all it is. I mean, the corporations are more powerful than you are. The government's more powerful than you are. It's possible you're even... you're through the cracks. The yeah. bureaucracy is so huge that you it just... just can't track you. Yeah. You're, yeah, exactly. And so it's a very... Well, and I was actually thinking about this earlier because we were talking about the role that dice and rules play in a lot of these games and how they can be used to create that kind of mistrust and abuse. And... One of the things that I was saying is I wonder if maybe a change of game would help. You know it would be a because, great game? A superhero game. Because the point of the superhero is that they're powerful. They may be on a hero's journey, but they start out more powerful than everyone else. And they use that to do heroic deeds and good things. Well, and I know there are, also, there are games out there that have built-in mechanics where it's very difficult to fail. Yeah, And even if you fail, there's some kind of negotiation, some kind of, you get to describe the failure. Blades in the Dark? Blades in the Dark is, I mean, there's an entire section in Blades in the Dark where it talks about how the GM is at a rules mechanical distinct disadvantage. It is actually incredibly difficult for the GM to hurt the players. The GM really actually can't hurt the players. The players hurt themselves by expending resource, yeah. the resource of sanity and that sort of thing. Right, and I can't screw and the GMs you. are hands-off. And how, how easily can I, as a GM, screw you if you get to describe the failure? Yeah. And failure is not that likely to begin with. And so, and, then, and you don't get to set difficulty, and you don't touch dice. Yeah, and so maybe there's some options here in terms of rethinking the game. And even if you're not all about Blades in the Dark, I mean, I, once again, I think this maybe... Apocalypse World type. Yeah, and I, I inspectors, things like yeah. that. I just think... Like you so said, Shadowrun, Paranoia, <laughs> Call, of Cthulhu. Call of Cthulhu. I think even yeah. D&D to some extent. Because yeah. you have to set all kind of squishy difficulties, and then it's like, all right, here's my players. I'm trying to build trust with them. I'm throwing orcs at them. Oh, sh- They cannot quite handle orcs, and I miscalculated all the numbers. I should have thrown something lesser than orcs at them, and now they're getting their ass stomped. So now I have to start. Do I start fudging? Do I? How do I help them? Yeah, D&D is a... It's not impossible. It's not like running Paranoia, but there's certain landmines unless you're really, really good at running the game mechanically. So say we all. Here's the thing that Lars needs to remember, and I'm probably going to get some ire from the listening audience, but I'm used to that. Lars, you have all of the power in this relationship, right? Because you can walk away. It's easy for a game master to find another group of players. You can't walk away. If... He's a German in Poland. <laughs> right. So, very difficult. So, so when you run from the Russians. Then, <laughs> no, but, but in all seriousness, if, if it gets to the point where he's irritated and frustrated, he can walk away from this group, right? He can go and find other players to play with. Now, I'm not saying that he should have the nuclear option right out of the gate, which is something that I would do. But what he could do in this scenario is say, okay, you know what? How about this? You guys want to play a game? Why don't I step back? I'll be a player. Why doesn't somebody else run a game for a while or run a one shot? 
do some rotating game master screen. And let's get all of this out of the system. And why don't you guys literally show me what kind of you game know, mastering style you would like? I think you have. Because the first part of that, I was kind of like, eh. Because if, uh, let's take the See, I have to take the extreme option. Right, and then right, I right. have to walk it back to sanity. That's my life. Right. So, <laughs> so I don't want to know who your first choice for wife was then. <laughs> If old bulletproof was the <laughs> middle of the road choice, uh, well, you know, kaiju. I mean, there's always there's just there's just there, there was no sexual compatibility <laughs> for them. Yeah, no, precisely. <laughs> but no, all right. So I, I, let's take the nuclear option off the table. Let's assume you walking away from the group is not what you want to do. All right, let me look at your other two options here. The one of passing off the GM's mantle. I think it might be good for the health of the group, but it doesn't fix the problem. Because it does not change their perception of you as being an abusive game master. But it shows a willingness to learn what they want. No, that's that's fair. I think that's fair. I, I, but I think the other option is a better one. Because if you do a rotating GM thing, assuming they're even willing to do this, they may not be willing to do it. But if you do a rotating GM thing, it does show there that power is not that important to you. And that you are willing to share that narrative and rules authority with other people. And if nothing else, they know they have the escape hatch that anything you do in your game, if I really want to, by fiat, I can undo when I get control. So if I screw, you know, somebody out of their character, then that may be the next person GMing, right? Which means they may do the same to me or they may bring their character back. Or The point is that I think it, it shows that the power dynamic is no longer the important thing to you. That it, it shows that, you know, you're not hiding behind that. But it still does come back to your turn. And so you have these opportunities to demonstrate this is what I really want. This is what I'm really about is narrative and fairness and, and whatever. And now I'm going to pass it to you just to show you that the trust is equal. And then when it comes back to me, once again, I have yet another opportunity to demonstrate this is what I'm all about. This is what I'm really trying to accomplish here. And I think in terms of trying to set that expectation of having confrontation and conflict, but also having it be above board and fair and not obstructionist and not abusive, that this might help build some sympathy within the other players if they're not traditionally GMs to understand, oh, okay, so I don't have to be a dick, but I do have to create some problems because if I don't, this is really boring. Right. I mean, a story without conflict or meaningful conflict, it gets boring pretty quickly. It's Chad's life. It's just that's right. It's win, just win, charm. Win. Yeah. <laughs> Three Liberty Bells. I know all the time. Not only that, but you also if you're passing the torch. You also get to see from their perspective sometimes the things that they've always wanted to do or the things that they've always wanted in a game. And you can take notes of that, not necessarily, you know, verbatim what they say, but, you know, themes, things like that. You can say, oh, I've never really thought about running a relationship game in D&D, but apparently this person really wants to run that kind of a game. Okay, let's see what we can incorporate that. And, and then you kick Joss Whedon out of your group and you get back to the game. I love Joss Whedon. <laughs> <laughs> the thing you have to remember is if you are the abusive GM, you're abusive for a reason. Maybe you have a really strong personality, maybe whatever. I don't want to really, you know, dip too deep into that well. But 
The issue that could come up when you pass the torch off is you see someone running the game and they are doing it their way from their perspective and they're messing it all up. <laughs> they're screwing up the game. Now, they're not mistreating the other players. They're not mistreating your character. They're, In fact, they're being very pro-player, but they're f- everything up. You have got to take that. And you've got to lock that in your black little evil heart and never let it out. I I mean, fortunately, in Lars' case, that's not where he's coming from. Because he wasn't wasn't the abuser. He was the good guy. He's the savior, man. But if you're Eric, where you are the abuser. (laughs) (laughs) You've got that black little heart, man. It's like Mr. Burns, and it it beats once every like three or four minutes. (laughs) (laughs) We We need official fear the boot. Like Alcoholics Anonymous chits, like abusive game master. You know, I've I've been a non-abusive game master for six months now, and, and a year. Can so. mine say, "Hi, I'm Chad. I went to space camp." <laughs> yes, thank you. Yes, it can. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> Lars, I hope that answers your question. As for you guys at home, don't be abusive. Be good to your players, mm-hmm. and they probably won't be good to you, but one can always hope. Got push through. Yeah. It's just like giving birth. Just keep on pushing. Is it just me or is the really important lesson for Lars to learn is that it is English that is the language of conquest and not German? <laughs> huh. So thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great week and great games. Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs> this has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2017. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy network of shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.